For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. They will be my people, and I will be their God. For they will return to me with all their heart. God's ways are higher than our ways, and yet, in the next scripture, it says, be still and know that I am God. God's greatness no one can fathom. And even then, he invites us into relationship with him. Is God calling us to uh, an exercise in futility? No, not, not even close. Our God is so great and so perfect, and yet he still wants us to know him. He wants us to experience his perfection even in our flaws. He wants us to just wonder at his vastness in our smallness. It's an invitation to us to be, to be with him. This God that is, is beyond our comprehension, yet he invites us into this relationship. I would, I would suggest to you that we can do this because he, um, while he is, his ways are so much higher than our ways, um, he reveals himself to us. He graciously and generously and creatively reveals himself to us in the Bible and in creation and most demonstrably in the person of, of Jesus. And this morning, our big idea is, is because Jesus is perfectly perfect. It sounds redundant, I know, but hang with me. There's a reason why there's two perfects there. It's perfectly perfect. That he can both be incomprehensible and personally known. Incomprehensible and personally known. So what we're going to do this morning is I'm going to be up here for a much shorter time than I usually am. And I'm going to uh, lay out for you five characteristics of God that are his and his alone that we could never, uh, never attain. And at the end of that, you could be, hopefully you will be, both exhilarated and terrified because of who God is. But at the same time, at the end of that, I'm going to try to explain to us that this God who is perfectly perfect is absolutely for us. And it is in that, in that peace of him being for us, that um, it's the second half of that perfect. He's perfect in himself, and he's perfect in the way that he relates to us. Here we go. God is omnipresent. Up there on the screen is a definition and a verse. So let me point out, along the bottom, this, this whole message is just saturated in scripture. If you want to follow along, if you go to crossroadct.info, to the messages section or to the specific notes for this, there's a link to like 
you'll, it'll take you to Bible Gateway, and all of those verses will be on one page for you. So you can just, you can follow along as you're going if you want to do that. Omnipotence. God is all-powerful and able to do whatever he wills. Since his will is limited only by his nature, God can do everything that is in harmony with his perfections. And then there's the verse from Job. I know that you can do all things. No purposes of yours can be thwarted. God is so powerful that he spoke creation into being out of nothing. God is so powerful that he could say to creation, he could say to the winds and the waves, be still, and they were still. God is so powerful that with his words, he could command the dead to rise, and they rise. God is all-powerful. Next, God is omniscient. God knows all things, actual and possible, past, present, and future, in one eternal act. And five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are more value than any of those sparrows. God's knowledge, God knows everything simultaneously. He doesn't, he doesn't learn. He knows what could have been but wasn't. He knows what is. He knows what might be but won't. He knows the future. God's knowledge is all-encompassing. God is omnipresent. i got to figure out a better way to do this. I didn't realize they were going to be so small on the back. I'm sorry. God, in totality of his presence, without diffusion or expansion, multiplication or division, penetrates and fills the universe in all its parts. And the scripture, 1 Kings, this is King Solomon talking as he's praying dedication prayer for the temple that he just built, the first temple that was built to the God of the Bible. But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you, how much less this temple that I have built. So this idea of God being everywhere is, is comforting, right? It should, it should feel like we're being wrapped in a, in a great big hug. Um, it should not be confused, though, with the idea that uh, God is in a tree or in a clock, right? God is with, near, and by, and affects every tree and every clock. His presence shapes everything, controls everything, moves everything. Now, the last two, I'm going through these fast, um, is God is eternal and the word that's going to be up there is immutable. It means unchangeable. As we think about God being eternal, with him there is no distinction between past, present, and future, but all things are equally and always present to him. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. This is one of the points the spoken word video made, right? God operates outside of time. This doesn't mean that God is really old or even that he was first. It means that he is always he always, always has been. There's never been a time when he, he did not exist. He operates outside of time. And this idea of him being eternal is what makes this last thing, this idea of God being unchangeable, possible. God is absolute perfection. Improvement or deterioration is impossible for him. From the book of Malachi, I, the Lord, do not change. So think about this for a second. In order for change to happen the variable of time 
has to be present. God operates outside of time, therefore, he cannot change. Of all of the characteristics of God, this is one of the ones that I have the, like the, the hardest time wrapping my brain around. I can appreciate and, and just be so grateful for his power and for his knowledge and, and even for his presence, although that one scares me because there's sometimes I wish he wasn't with me. Um, but the, the idea of him being un, unchangeable, we think about this for a second. Um, there's a couple ways that scholars try to explain it further anthropopathism. It's when in, in writing, we take a human emotion and we ascribe it to God to try to help us understand how he's acting or what he's, what he's feeling or what, what he's doing. Um, somebody might object to the idea of God being unchanging. Well, there are verses in the Bible that say that God changed his mind, right? Well, how does that work? It's uh, anthropopathism. Another explanation that is offered is that God is, is so, completely, so completely unchanging. What we have is the, when we look at him and his interactions with us as temporal beings, as people within time, we have perceived change only in relation to what we are doing as people who operate within time. Right? We could... We could Man, there are philosophers, and like I read so much stuff trying to wrap my brain around that idea of God being, being unchanging. Um, but I think what it comes down to, and it could be, while it's the, maybe the most difficult to get our brains around, it could be the most comforting and encouraging is that some of those scriptures that are up there tell us that God, uh, he does not shift like the light. He does not change. He is, he is steadfast. He won't flake on us. He is his constant. The Bible tells us that God does not lie and he does not change. That should be so reassuring in a world where things go around us a thousand miles an hour and, and sometimes we, we struggle to keep up. God does not change. So God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. God is eternal. God is immutable. And those things, if we stopped our discussion right there, it would end at terrifying. It wouldn't be exhilarating. Like a being with all of that power could be really, really scary. But God, in his perfection, because he's perfect in his attributes and he's perfect in the way that he relates to us, we know that he is for us. And I referenced at the beginning that uh, it's the Bible and its creation and it's Jesus that gives us this idea that God, is, that God is for us. In the Bible, from cover to cover, it is, the authors are pointing to creation and they're pointing to Jesus and they're pointing to this idea that God is with us, that God is for us. Over and over and over again. We look at um, the pages of Scripture and they're filled with promises for those who believe in Jesus. Right, so we have these, these pointers, we have these promises, and then we look at creation itself. Creation itself is not, um, it's not simplistic or mundane. Right? Creation is beautiful and majestic. God could have made creation just monotonous and gray and single-celled, but he didn't. It was made, it's made with intention, and it's made to amaze us 
and to make us just stop, jaws dropped in, in awe. In, in his creation, we see his creation. Why, why would that creation be? Why would he bother to make creation beautiful? Why would he bother to make us so, so intricately? There are two reasons. One, so that we would look at each other and we would look at creation and be like, oh my gosh, oh my goodness, the person who put this together, the being that did this must be amazing. And the other reason is for our enjoyment. John Piper says that God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. When we appreciate a sunset, when we appreciate the, the grace and the, the beauty of an athlete, right? That's, that's God honoring, and it points to him as the creator, all those things. God put all of that stuff together, a sunset, a steak, sex, all of it, right? For his glory and for our good and for our enjoyment. And then the word that I used at the beginning was maybe most demonstrably is the person of Jesus and that we learn that God is for us. God made man, right? Jesus, all the perfections, perfectly perfect. He steps out of eternity and he steps into time and he's made subject to a clock and a calendar. But at the same time, he can say to the winds and the wave, be still. Jesus, who was, before he became man, ever present, he limited himself by taking on the confines of the human body and became subject to skin and bones. And yet he could say, be healed, and people were healed. He could say, get up, and people were raised from the dead. Jesus, who exists in eternity, voluntarily, voluntarily, I was listening to a message this week that said, uh, while Jesus was on the cross, moment by moment, he just had to continually make a decision to stay there. He could have gotten off that cross at any minute. He was voluntarily there for us. God in eternality stepped out of that, right, and suffered death for us. And yet three days later, he rose again. The Bible points to creation and it points to Jesus. Creation and Jesus point to God in all of his glory, all of his greatness, all of his power, and says, I am for you. And because the God of the Bible is for us, we have access to his perfections. We will never, we will never be all-powerful. We will never be omnipotent. But we have access to those things. In the book of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 21, Paul tells us that the same power that rose Jesus from the grave is at work in us. That's amazing. Is at work in us, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave. In Psalm 25, verse 14, it says, God confides in those who fear him. The stuff that God holds dear, the things that are important to him, he wants to share those with us. John 3, 16, 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. God is for us in this life and in the next. That's how God can be perfectly perfect. He's perfect in his attributes. He's perfect in the way that he relates to us and he is for us. And all those things are reason to celebrate, they're reason to praise him, they're reason to worship him. And that's what we're gonna spend the rest of our time this morning doing. Um, the band is gonna, is gonna come back up here in a second, but we're gonna start, the, the worship that we're gonna do is gonna have various um, forms or expressions. We're gonna start, and this is gonna feel like a long time, we're gonna start with 90 seconds of silence. Right, I love silence. I can hang out, just sit and be still. It took me a long time to be able to get to do that. But we're just going to sit and be quiet for 90 seconds and just be with God. And then the band is going to lead us through a couple of songs. And then I'm going to get back up here and give us a couple more instructions. Um, but I, my, man, my hope and my prayer this morning, all week, um, will, will be that you will just come to a greater understanding that the Holy Spirit would open your hearts and open your minds and you would come to a greater understanding of who this God is that we get together every week that many of us will, will try to get to closer to him throughout the week that you would grow in the knowledge of the hope and the joy and the peace that he offers. 90 seconds. Ready? <laughs> 